Welcome to the Super Abundant Life Podcast. I'm your host, Olaomi Brigway, a transformational life coach and the creator of Super Abundant Woman, where we are teaching and equipping women who have a burning desire for significance to create an exceptionally successful and fulfilling life without burnout or stress. In the not too distant past, I myself was trapped in an agonizing cycle of failure and shame with my mind constantly dominated by negative emotions. But my life was dramatically transformed beyond my wildest dreams when I began to live by the power and the wisdom of God's word. My mission is to teach others to experience the same. On the Super Abundant Life podcast, we have only one goal teach and empower Christians to take full advantage of their rights and privileges in Christ so they can build exceptionally successful lives. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Alaomi Brickway and welcome to episode 119 of the Super Abundant Life podcast. It's always a pleasure for me to record these episodes and to bring them to you. Thank you for always showing up and for listening, for writing to me, for sharing the podcast, for rating and reviewing the podcast. Every now and then when I pop in to my iTunes, I see a new review and I'm always so blessed by it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. I'm starting a new series today. So I like to do series every now and then in the podcast whereby it's centered around a main topic or a theme and there will be about maybe sometimes three, four or even five episodes within that theme. And this new one is called Guard Your Heart. Guard your heart. This is something that God taught me many, many years ago regarding how I approach life. Now, let me read a scripture to you in Proverbs 4.23, because I think that scripture literally just explains everything you need to know about why you need to guard your heart. And it says in the New Living Translation, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the cause of your life. <laughs> guard your heart above everything else. That means if there is one job you must do and not neglect in this life, it says it is to guard your life. It didn't say to eat. It didn't say to drink. It didn't say to go to work. It didn't say to train your children. It didn't say to sing in church, to preach a sermon. It says above everything else. Everything else means everything else. All else means all else, right? For it determines the cause of your life, meaning whatever you've planted in your heart, is the direction you're going, whether you like it or not. And when God first began to show me this several years ago, I was like, whoa, you mean I actually determined the cause of my own life? Not because something happened to me, not because of the economy, not because oh, this happened to me in my past, not because the, my father did this, my mother did this to me as a child. No, 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 no. 
No, I determine the course of my life and through what will the causes of my life be determined, whatever is in my heart. Um, in fact, I think the King James or New King James Version says, with all diligence, guard your heart with all diligence, meaning it's something that you cannot play with. You can't take a casual approach to it. You can't say, oh, well, it's okay and I can expose myself to all these kind of things. It doesn't really matter. It does matter because the gates to your heart are actually your five senses. So your eyes, your ears and stuff like that. So all your five senses plus your thoughts, the injection of your thoughts. So the sixth sense, your five senses, what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you feel, right? What you sense that you touch with your hands, etc. And also the sixth sense, which is talking about the realm of thoughts. So these are all gates into your mind. So you have to guard all of that, the gates with all diligence. And also before I move on, what exactly is the heart? So when we think the heart, or is it the spirit man? Is it whatever it is? Well, one of the easiest ways to understand what it means by the heart is if you think about it as your soul. So it's actually referring to your soul, your mind, your mind, because that is what would determine how you move forward in life. The Bible says in Romans 12 two says, be transformed how by the renewing of your mind. Paul at that point was writing to Christians. He was writing to Christians, to the Roman church. So he wasn't saying to unbelievers, oh, you need to go and be transformed in your soul. He was writing to people whose spirits had already been regenerated and they were already born again. So he was saying, listen, in your spirit, man, oh, Jesus is there. The spirit of Christ is there. Holy Spirit is there. The Godhead is there. You are the absolute image of the perfection of God spirit-wise. But none of that will ever find expression if the mind is not renewed. So that is what it's referring to. It's referring to the power of your mind and whatever is shown in your mind. So your belief systems, your perceptions, the way you view and interact with life, with God, with the word of God. In fact, let me show you how powerful your mind is. The Bible talks about the parable of the sower and Jesus taught that parable. Now in Luke eight and also in Matthew 13, so two versions together that I put together, it says, now the parable is this. Jesus was explaining that parable to his disciples. He said, the seed is the word of God, right? So the sower goes out to sow the seed. Now bear in mind that the Bible teaches us that the seed the word of God is incorruptible. It is Christ himself. So think about how powerful Christ is. Think about the fact that it says that seed can never be destroyed. It says that in first John, it is the incorruptible, indestructible seed of the word of God. So powerful. But look at what happens when that seed that cannot be destroyed, that will always produce results, gets sown into a mind that cannot receive it. It says when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the seed and does not understand it then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart this is the one who received the seed by the wayside the seed is all powerful but it says that if the mind of the person to which the seed is presented cannot accept it or reject it or allows the cares of this world to choke it away it says that seed regardless of how powerful it is will not bear fruit can you see that? That is why the Bible teaches us to guard our hearts or our minds with all diligence. So that is what this series is all about. And I'm very excited. Um, so far, I've written down about three or four 
episodes and the more i write down the more the holy spirit brings to my attention that what needs to be addressed in terms of god now man so stick with me in this series it's going to really bless you now the first one i'm going to talk about in this series is this do not exaggerate the impact of failure or adversity so the title of today is guard your heart how by not exaggerating the impact or the cost of failure, of adversity, of affliction, of mistakes, whichever angle you want to take it in, setbacks, whatever you want to call it. Don't exaggerate it. To exaggerate something means to give it more acclaim than it is due it. Okay? Now, the carnal human mind, so the natural human mind, a mind that is unrenewed in the ways of God, in scriptures, according to Romans 12 2, has strong survival and self-preservation instincts. So anyone that lives purely by, oh, this is how I've always been, this is the tradition that I've always known, this is how I deal with people, you will notice that if something happens to them, they will clam up because there's a survival instinct inside them. The mind has been trained as a result of the fall of man to just want to survive. So if they see anything that is threatening, that looks like, ah, if you go there, that's what will happen. The person will climb up and they would immediately begin to retreat. Why? Because what the mind will do is it will exaggerate that thing in order for you to retreat. Yeah. When there's a threat, any little threat comes into your space. Literally the mind, the carnal mind as a result of the fall has been trained literally has morphed as in this is how the mind will present it to you into such a way that it will look at that situation and really exaggerate the impact the cost of it so that you will very quickly retreat and say that's a threatening situation i'm not going to have anything to do with that okay so that's what i mean so an unrenewed mind will go around wailing war is me at every setback every talent every adversity that enters into their space as Christians, we are not supposed to live like that because guess what? So many, if I, what am I saying? So many, all of the breakthroughs that God will bring into your life, it will require you to go forward where there seems to be situations that are threatening. Peter, step out onto the water and walk on water. Eh? As in how? Okay. Moses, tell the children of Israel to walk forward and move forward towards the Red Sea, eh? To go and drown in the ocean. Okay, David, run towards Goliath and go and kill him. Somebody that's probably 10 times your size and has 1 million times more experience than you do. Threatening situations that to the carnal mind will be like, eh, lie, lie, I'm not doing it. I'm going back. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that is how the natural unrenewed mind will engage with situations in life. But, but God will require you all the time to do things that appear to be threatening and that appear as if they would harm you. Meanwhile, there's no harm in it because God is only using that to promote you. So what that means is if you don't learn to take charge of your mind, that failure, that setback, that mistake, that affliction, that adversity that has come into your space, naturally you will begin to replace over and over again. Your mind will go into overdrive and start embellishing it until you will no longer see any light at the end of the tunnel. And as a result of that, you will turn back. You will say, no, 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 it's okay. I don't really need to go for that thing anymore, etc., etc. And I'm going to go on to talk about the effects of living like this. And also, as I always do, how you can begin to retrain your mind to move in the other direction. 
Okay. That's not how we're supposed to live as Christians. As a child of God, there is never a situation that you will find yourself that there is no hope. Never. It is impossible. It is impossible. Job 14, 7 to 9 says, for there's hope for a tree. If it is cut down, that it will sprout again and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. For a tree, there is hope. For human beings, even in death, even in death, there is hope. For us as Christians, never should you face a situation and say, this is the end. And that is literally what leads people to suicide. Because there's, there's no way out. Nothing good can come out of this. No, it's a lie. And that's why Satan is really taking people to. For a Christian, even in death, you win. I mean, what's the problem? That's why we mustn't even fear death. Because you still win. You still win. <laughs> okay, so let me now get started. How did I actually start thinking about this episode, what spurred it on for me was I saw something that someone posted on social media and it's a a letter sent by school principal before exams to parents. And I'm going to read the letter to you and different people have different reactions to this thing, but just hear me out. And the letter says, dear parents, the exams of your children are to start soon. I know you are all really anxious for your child to do well. But please do remember, amongst the students who will be sitting for the exams, there's an artist who doesn't need to understand math. There's an entrepreneur who doesn't care about history or English literature. There is a musician whose chemistry marks won't matter. There's an athlete whose physical fitness is more important than physics. If your child does get top marks, that's great. But if he or she doesn't, please don't take away their self-confidence and dignity from them. Tell them it's okay. It's just an exam. They are cut out for much bigger things in life. Tell them no matter what they score, you love them and you will not judge them. Now you read that and me personally, I read that and I'm thinking, and my Nigerian mother, African mother, afraid <laughs> comes up and like, for where? Say, wait, see, no. What's that nonsense? We can't nonsense is that. Eh, even if the child does not need physics, you must still get a star in that physics. I mean, with the people that are getting a star, do they have 10 brains? Do they have two heads? What's wrong with your own brain that you can't get a star in physics? <laughs> and that is what, that is how we engage with these things. Now, now, obviously, we want our children to apply themselves and whatever their hands find to do, to do it excellently. That's a spiritual principle. Because if you say, oh, I don't need physics, I'm going to be a footballer. Listen, there will be things you'll be required to do, even if you're going to be a footballer, that you may feel you don't need. But the people that are training you say you need it. And if you have that attitude, it will come and bite you in the butt. So it is never okay to belittle or trivialize anything that is in front of us by saying, I don't even see the purpose of it. So that's another story. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know, that is my stand, right? I tell my children all the time, whatever your hand finds to do, do it excellently. You can succeed. The mind of Christ is the mind that you have. There's nothing you cannot learn. There's nothing you cannot understand. There's nothing you cannot excel at. But the point I want to bring out from this letter is what this person, this principle is really saying is this, even if a child fails that exam, do not make it as if it is the end of the world. Don't make it as if it is over. 
it is finished. Like you failed the exam, you failed your GCSEs. And literally we use these kind of words to threaten, to say that you're not reading your books. Do you know what will happen? You will fail. What if you fail? What will happen? You won't get into that school. You won't get into this, that university and the whole life. And your life is just going down the drain. And literally, literally that is a fear that Satan is presenting to that parent. Like, oh my God, if my son fails his exam, what's going to happen? He's going to be a bum. He's going to live in my house till he's 50. And do you understand why? Just for failing one exam. There is life beyond failing an exam. How many you that you are listening to me, you that you are listening to me, have you passed all the exams that you've ever sat for? Did you, you know how we tell our children as if we would go 100% in everything? We go 100%. It's not true. And those kids know you're telling lies when you're saying, oh, I was the best in my class and all of them don't believe you. They know it can't be true. <laughs> so look at your own life. Look at, just take a moment and look back over the, the path and the journey of your own life. You failed exams, but you are very successful in your career today. You made mistakes and dated people you should not have dated, but look at you and your marriage today. Do you understand what I mean? You made terrible financial decisions, but look at how you're prospering today. So there is always hope. Anyone that submits their life to God, there is always hope. So imagine if somebody doesn't get a job and they thought, Oh, this is the job. I'm going to get this job. I love this job. It's going to be a promotion, etc." And they don't get it. And they enter into depression. My question is, so what? So what you didn't get that job? Is that the only job that will ever be advertised? I mean, put things in perspective. Think about it. I mean, will then say, Oh, you didn't get that job. You can never ever progress in your career again. Is that even possible? Is that even logical? Remember what I'm saying to you. It is the trick of the mind. That is how the natural mind has been trained for thousands of years to survive. Because man, when Adam fell, was demoted from living from the inside out to living from the outside in. So Adam had to rely upon his five senses. He had to really be looking at his lion there. Meanwhile, before the fall, number one, he didn't have to look out for a lion because the lion won't kill him. And number two, he was led from the inside. He knew things before they would happen. He, he sensed the presence of God before God showed up in the garden. Do you understand that? So the mind is a trick. Don't lean into it. Someone says, oh, the marriage failed. So what? So what? People even will cast stones at people and say, oh, see, this person is divorced. I can't be Listen, even the woman, the Samaritan woman that had five husbands in the Bible, she was still a powerful instrument in the hand of God. So how can we look at somebody's marriage that has failed and say, oh, that's the end for them? How? That is not God. That's not the person that you call father. I'm going to really hone in as to why you must guard your heart. Just because your mind is presenting all these worst case scenarios and possibilities to your mind and telling you, oh, this is where it's going, this is where it's going, and not allowing you to really handle that failure in the right perspective does not mean you should play along. It doesn't mean you should play along. Your child doesn't do well in school and you're already thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen to this child? And you're, you've thought far. You have thought far. You've gone where you should never have gone. And if you don't learn to rein it back and submit it to the Lordship of Christ that says there is always hope, you will find yourself trapped in that place. 
right? I'm going to teach from the life of Elijah today because Elijah was one person that fell into that trap and it instantly ended his ministry on earth. Instantly. So let's go to first Kings. I'm going to be teaching from first Kings 19, 10 to 18. And to give you a bit of context prior to this, the whole of Israel or most of them under the rulership of Ahab and Jezebel had literally turned to Baal. <laughs> As in these people, only a handful were still worshiping God out of the whole country. They were idol worshippers, especially Baal. They had turned from God and God had been warning them, warning them, warning them, warning them. So Elijah, by the prophecy that God gave him, said there will be no rain. And of course, there was no rain. Just that was how literally God had to operate with those guys because they didn't have any word witness. They didn't have the Holy Spirit speaking to them. They didn't have anything. They were living in the dark ages, literally. So God had to use external things to try and get their attention and say, hey, I've been telling you people. Okay. So because when they entered into trouble like that, they will now turn to God and they will, they will literally now start seeking God. So he went and he proclaimed that there will be no rain. And there was no rain for three years. And after that, they were ready. They were like, okay, do you know what? We have sinned and they repented. And Elijah gathered all the prophets of Baal. That was when he called fire down from heaven. And he killed all the prophets of Baal. And basically in one move, literally eradicated the worship of Baal from the land of Israel in that one move. So immediately after that, Immediately after calling fire down from heaven and with one hand, one sword, killing how many prophets, like 700 prophets or 400, something like that. Literally, the power of God worked powerfully through him. He outran a chariot. So those kind of wonderful things. Immediately after that, see what happens. He says that Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, when Elijah saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went a day's journey into the wilderness. He prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. <laughs> For I'm no better than my father. As the guy went into serious depression. <laughs> like, what? I mean, he was just like, he went from an ultimate high to the ultimate low because of the words of one person, of one human being. Now, when we see the way Elijah responded, you'd be like, oh, you know, he's afraid for his life. I mean, Jezebel was very wicked and so on. And yeah, his response was right and so on and so forth. But come and see how God responded to this, because we always judge a situation by the way God responds, because God says in Isaiah 55 that my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. So just because somebody reacts a certain way or the situation looks a certain way does not mean that is the wisdom and the judgment of God regarding that situation. So what we want to do is how did God respond to it? So, for example, the Pharisees said the woman caught in adultery, surely she should be stoned. But the wisdom and the judgment of God in that situation was no mercy says let her go so no matter how elijah felt is what i'm saying no matter how he felt oh this is the end of my life this is the end of the tunnel nothing can ever happen with my life again i'm finished etc 
let us see how God really, really saw that situation and whether Elijah was right or wrong. So how did God respond? So he says that the word of the Lord came to Elijah and God said to him, what are you doing here? Elijah, as in, okay, you ran away from the city where I sent you. And because somebody says on me, you went and hid in the wilderness. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, remember that the first prayer he prayed when he ran to the wilderness was, I am, this is over, I just want to die, okay? So he basically saying, they want to kill me, and even me say, I'm ready to die. Now, what did God say? Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice, right? Now, I've always wondered. So when I read the Bible, I'm like, who was all that about? I mean, God comes down. He's having a conversation with Elisha. He asks him a question. He says, Oga, what are you doing here? Elisha responds, they want to kill me. And instead of replying again and saying something to him in response to something, if it was me, I'd be like, what's wrong with you? Just because one small woman says something to you, even if she's queen. How are you behaving like this? Is it not just you that just called down fire from heaven? I mean, that is how me, I will talk back to Elijah. But God didn't talk. The next thing he does is he begins to show and demonstrate all these wonderful effects of his power. So earthquake and fire and wind that breaks and tears down mountains and rocks. And I began to say, God, why, why did you do that? What was the purpose of that? And do you know what God said to me? God said, I needed to remind Elijah of who was behind him, who was standing solidly behind him. Like how can a mere human being, God was saying that I created with my breath, with my breath, I created and I spoke Jezebel into being. How can that tiny speck of dust come and challenge me, God? So because Jezebel threatened you, Elijah, I needed to remind Elijah, God was saying to me, how powerful I am. So he goes and he sends wind and he breaks rocks and mountains start disintegrating before Elijah's eyes. And earthquake and fire. And so so that, come on, do you know that I'm the commander of the heavens and the earth? Do you know I can snap my fingers and this world will be wrapped up in a second? Right? So God literally wanted to remind him that, hey, 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 calm down. This thing is not as bad as you think it is. It looks big, but I'm telling you in the grand scheme of things, it is a speck. It is only a speck of dust in comparison to the greatness of the person that sent you on this journey. So God did all that. And he says, so it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Now, after demonstrating a little bit, one billionth, one trillionth of his power, just to remind Elijah of the scope of the situation in comparison to the tiny threat of Jezebel, God asks him the question again, what are you doing here? Elijah in the hope 
that Elijah would have seen all that and said, ah, ah. <laughs> I should even be asking myself the same question. What am I doing here? Because that tiny aunt called Jezebel threatened me. Me self, I now carried my legs and I ran. And I went into the wilderness. When I'm supposed to go and follow up what I did in the city, you know, basically that's what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to reestablish the worship of Jehovah. Again, after killing all those prophets of Baal, he was supposed to follow through, establish the priesthood again, establish the burnt offerings and sacrifices and all those things that God used to tell them to do. He was meant to follow through, but he started the job. Somebody threatened him and he ran away. So God demonstrated all that power to remind him that, hey, did you forget that he had the same one that called down fire? I send fire from heaven for your benefit and to establish my kingdom. That's the one that's backing you. So the hope of God was to remind Elijah of who he was. Do you understand now who Elijah himself was as a prophet of God and who God, the God behind the prophet was. But the guy no agree. Oh, that's what I'm saying. As in, he was so focused and so zoned in on the fact that the queen threatened my life. See what he said, because God asked him again, like, okay, have you seen all that now? Have you seen that this is a small matter? Okay. God asked him again, what are you doing here? Why are you here in the wilderness? And he repeats exactly the same thing. So he didn't learn anything. He learned nothing from seeing that powerful demonstration of God's power. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, turned down your altars and killed your prophet with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. He repeats exactly the same word. No transformation as a result of that powerful encounter with the power of God. Oh, Elijah started well, but he did not finish well. He didn't finish well because I believe that God had powerful plans for the man Elijah. Like the children of Israel, they saw the demonstrations. They saw the Red Sea part. And when they got to the tiny talent, then every new talent they came to, it was like, ah, we've come to die. This is the end. And God would then do another miracle to remind them that it's not the end. I'm taking you to the promised land. You are going to kill Jah. Say, no, no, they refused to as in every challenge was the end of the world to them every challenge they would embellish it they would exaggerate it like oh i mean they would say things like there are graves in egypt why have you brought a cucumber and and whatever it's onions they did they wanted cucumber and onion they say oh you brought us here to kill us i mean seriously seriously <laughs> seriously it's ridiculous it's ridiculous. And I'm telling you that if you don't take charge of your mind, if you don't guard your mind, this is how Satan will be presenting every little pebble that enters into your shoe. You will think, oh, woe is me. This world is coming to an end. Literally. So because he learned nothing, God tried to remind him, but he learned nothing. He was still exactly the same. He was still exactly in the same frame of mind as when he started his woe is me story. And so what happened after that? What did God say after that? God said, okay, in that case, 
and he began to give him instructions. He said, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazel as king of Syria. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. His ministry ended there and then. Why? Because he could not shift his mind beyond this is only a temporary situation this is only a temporary setback the god that sent me on the assignment is far bigger than this little thing that i'm going through now he couldn't bring his mind to accept that there was more that there was life beyond this tragedy or this adversity that i was facing and god said you are useless to me i tried i came down from heaven to come and demonstrate you physically but you still will not answer well you're useless to me the same way he told the children of israel you say giants, okay, fine. I'm going to raise another generation because you are useless to me. I can't work with anyone that sees a situation and says that is the end and cannot, no matter what I do to convince them. Otherwise they can't see beyond that situation in that situation. As in God can literally not do anything again. He could not use Elijah again after that. So he said, go and anoint all these people to take over. Elijah would take over. You're done. What I needed you to do, you can't do it now. You're done. And then now come and see the clincher. <laughs> Elijah was saying, hey, but I'm the only one left. God said, do you think I'm the kind of God that I'm so limited? My hands are so tied that I have limited resources. He says, you think you're the only one left. There are 7,000 prophets that have never bowed their knees to Baal. And this was a time when, like I said in the beginning of this episode, like the whole country had turned to Baal. Even when it appeared like everybody was doing it, it's not true. God still had his own people. So when the thing looks like everything is just bad, the situation, there will always be something that is right. There will always be. So say, oh, nothing is just going right in my life. I don't understand. Everything is just not working. It's not true. The fact that you are talking means you have your health. That is one thing. It means you, your mind can form words and you can comprehend. That is one thing. Do you understand that? So God was like, Elijah, you got this one wrong. Oh, sorry, guy. Oh yeah, come and be going. I will reward you for how you have served me zealously. But from this point on, there is nothing I can do with you again. And he lit Elijah was not supposed to die. Have you ever wondered why Elijah did not die? Like the chariots came and carried him to him because it was not the time. He still had time left. So they had to come and carry him. God could not kill him. Why would God kill him? His, his death had not, do you understand what I'm saying? The appointed time of Elijah's death had not come. Had not come. He still had so much to do, but he was now useless to God. In that sense, he could not move past what was in front of him and God had to send chariots like God, like God was not going to prematurely kill him. So he just sent Sharia, come out, come home. It's okay. Come, come, come. <laughs> Can you see that? So every time you are tempted to accept that thought that hey, this is the end, I don't understand darkness, darkness everywhere. Go and remember Elijah and go and remember the children of Israel, literally. So, what are, I'm going to give four reasons why you must guard your mind against exaggerating the impact or the cost of what is temporary, a temporary setback, failure, adversity, affliction, whatever you call it, mistake. It's temporary. It's temporary. 
Number one, it causes ingratitude and leads you to feelings, being trapped in feelings of hopelessness, dejection, depression. That's where all those things come from. Ingratitude. You'll be like, oh, this is finances. I don't, there's no money to pay this one. And then you forget what God had done. You forget that, number one, you're married and you and your husband love each other. You forget that you have children that are healthy. You forget that even though the finances, they're threatening to come and throw you out of the house or whatever it is to repossess the house, you forget that you still have a job that is still giving you some kind of income, but it may not be enough. Do you understand? Ingratitude. And ingratitude is the fastest way to get into depression. Because gratitude keeps your heart open to receive more. It keeps life in perspective. It keeps life in perspective. Gratitude. So that's the first reason. First reason. Like Elijah. He forgot. I mean, when God showed up, Elijah should have, you know, prostrated. Like, lay down on the floor. If you're Nigerian, you will understand what I mean by that. As in just literally, as Yoruba people do, if a, if a, if a man wants to honor an elder... They would literally lie down flat on the floor, you know, in greeting. That's what he should have done. That ah, come and see the God that helped me bring down fire. He saw that he didn't. I know, Joe. I know you're powerful, Jerry. But listen, this one that is in front of me, I, you can't handle it. Ingratitude, ingratitude. Number two, it leaks strength and causes stagnation. It leaks strength. Because you will look at Goliath and you will say, ha, I don't even know anything. Do you know that's what happened to the Israelite army? A whole army, people that had been trained in the art of war all their lives, from when they were probably, I don't know, age five or 10 or whatever, they would have recruited them into the army to start training them like as boys. And then they have grown, they've fought battles all their lives. Giants, captains of war stood there. And they saw Goliath and they were all paralyzed. They're like, I see, oh, I don't even know how to hold a sword. Do you understand what I'm saying? They were like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't, I just, I just, I just. Somebody tells you at work to go and do a presentation to the board and you've never done it before. And all of a sudden, because of the magnitude of it, you look like, oh my God, the senior leadership, oh, the board of directors, ha, ha, ha. And you're like, oh my God. They're like, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then you forget that. Every week or every other week in your department, you've been presenting to your team. Even though your team is a team of five, you've been presenting to them your findings and the project you're leading or working on together. And you've been doing that. You've been presenting, maybe teaching a church or whatever it is. And you suddenly forget that you have built strength over time in the area of presentation. And you're like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. Why? Because you have embellished that challenge you have magnified it beyond what it really is so it causes you to forget the strength you have built up over time and you look like you're absolutely useless in the face of that thing that's why david could look at goliath and say listen lion and the bear you are nothing goliath why because i have done this before i have acquired skills that's the difference number three it creates a victim mentality a victim mentality Huh? where that person will just have a persistent sense of helplessness. This is what causes it. Any challenge they face, they're like, oh, I can't do it. This is too hard. This is too hard. And if they keep engaging with life like that, 
after a while they develop a habit and also a, an identity of oh i'm just helpless i'm just helpless you see it in children that's why you have to be very vigilant with your children don't ever allow your children to say oh i can't do anything i can't do anything. even if you need to demonstrate it in front of them show that listen this is easy and they see that oh okay i actually thought it was hard it's not hard they need to see that don't look, don't face any challenge and then just accept it like that. It is too hard. And then you let them off the hook and like, it's okay. You don't have to do it. No, because you, they will carry that, the imprint of that scene of that scenario to the next one. The next time they face another challenge, the thing will be so big in their eyes and they'll think, Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's a victim mentality. It's a victim mentality. Like everything is always bigger than me. Everything is always better than me. Everything is always coming against me. No, it's not true. It really is not true. And the fourth one, this is the most powerful one. And this is the reason why we must guard. We must guard our hearts. It renders the person ineffective in the work God has called them to. It renders person effective. I just explained what happened to Elijah. Literally, God said, oh, yeah, come and be coming. Come and be coming home. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, let's go. Send chariots. I can't kill him. He was not supposed to die for, I don't know, maybe another, I mean, I'm just guessing, 40 years or something like that. He was, he was still supposed to preside. But it's was like, okay, it's time to go. Let's be going. Send chariots, please. Go and pick him up. Oh, yeah, be coming. Children of Israel, eh? Oh, you giants are too big, bigger than me, Abby. This is the end. Giants cannot be defeated. Okay, no problem. You people stay there. I will raise another generation to take your place. Look at Peter versus Judas. This is very important. Judas, do you know that if Judas had repented, he would have been one of the apostles? I hope you know that. I hope you know that. He said his sorrow, his sorrow consumed him. His sorrow consumed him. Do you know it's the same thing Judas did that Peter did? Peter even did it on three times. Three, <laughs> three times. He said, oh, but it's because Judas collected money. No, you are reading it wrong. The satisfaction or the reward each person got was according to the infirmity in their heart. So, so Judas's infirmity was money. The guy was greedy. He loved money beyond reason and he would have done anything for money. So that was how Satan tricked him into betraying Jesus. That was his own weakness. What was Peter's weakness that made him, that made Satan trick him to deny Jesus? It is what? He was a people pleaser. Jesus said, Simon, you're like a reed. You keep blowing left to right. If somebody has an opinion and you think, oh, okay, how am I going to be the most popular person here? You will side with that opinion. If somebody else comes and you think if I side with that person, I'm going to be the, I'm still going to be the most popular person in the room. I will side with that opinion. That's why Peter could say, you are Jesus, son of the most high God, one minute. And the next minute yield to Satan. So yield to God in one minute, then yield to Satan to the next minute and start challenging Jesus. Say, you can never that he can never die why because he wanted to appear as the one that loved jesus the most out of all the disciples by saying oh no you can't die not knowing that he was yielding to satan people pleasing that was peter's infirmity and that was how satan entered to use him to to deny jesus so when they were saying oh are you not one to say eh, me no i don't even know the man i don't know him all. i don't know him all. why because of the fear of man fear of man that was his problem so they were both the same but Peter's sorrow led him to repentance. 
Judas is sort of like, ah, this is the end. I see what I have done. I have denied Christ. There's no redemption from this point on. No. That, that was the difference between them. And his ministry ended there. I mean, think about it. Two thieves crucified on the left and on the right of Jesus. And one repented and just said, today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> How much more? Somebody that had served with Jesus for all those years. Right? Another example, as I was researching for this, that came strongly to me was, think about this. Remember I said that even in death, there's hope. If somebody passes away and you cannot allow grief to consume you because you are still in the land of the living, no matter who they are, no matter who they are. And don't say, hey, have you, hey, you don't know how it feels. Okay, I may not completely know how it feels, but I have experienced grief and I might be someone that has experienced the, probably the greatest grief when you lose a spouse. My husband lost his first wife, right? Do you understand? So uh, I, I've been there. So I've experienced, I lost my mom. And before that, actually, I had never really understood grief because I had never really lost anyone that was that close to me. So that was the first time that I'd ex that pain, that thing called grief, it can be all consuming. I've experienced it. So what am I saying? The life is for the living. Life is for the living. You cannot say, oh, somebody died and therefore that is the end. I can't live anymore. No, no. As Christians, you cannot, there's work to do. There is work to do. The person is gone. And praise God, they are Christians. They are with Jesus. They finished their own race. So they can't come back. They've finished. You that you are here and you're saying, my life is over. I can't move forward because somebody died. No, 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 no. There's work to be done. And one example is Queen Victoria. We all know Queen, Queen Victoria, Queen of um, England, Britain, United Kingdom. This was um, 19th century, 18 something. Literally when Prince Albert, her husband died, as in they were so, she was so much in love with him, that when this man died, literally Queen Victoria stopped living after he died. And I quote, someone wrote that his death sent Victoria into a deep depression and she stayed in seclusion for many years, for many years, as much as I think 40 years, rarely appearing in public. She mourned him by wearing black for the remaining 40 years of her life. The queen turned mourning into the chief concern of her existence the next 40 years. Should I read that sentence to you again? It says, she turned mourning grief into the chief concern of her existence the rest of her life 40 years 40 years who who knows what god could have done through her in those 40 years she just basically and before that before that she was probably the most forth-thinking queen or ruler of this kingdom and maybe even before her and since then in terms of advancements industrialization it happened under queen victoria go and read the history but after albert does that oh i don't care joe i don't care the love of my life is gone that's the end no it's not the end if you have life you have an assignment if god is keeping you here it means there's something you're supposed to do so not even death which is probably the thing that will say oh finality the person can't come back not even death oh, of somebody that you love should stop you it's not the end it's not the end. Okay.
So I'm going to finish off by saying how. So how do you retrain your mind? How do you begin to guard your mind from that natural strong tendency for self-preservation? You just want to curl up in a ball and say, it's over, I can't move forward, it's over, this is the end, this is the end, this is the end, this thing has come to swallow me up and to destroy me. Well, I have two things. Number one, put things in their proper perspective. That was what God did for Elijah. God immediately showed up. God didn't say, oh, I understand Jezebel is, you know, she's very wicked. She's a wicked somebody that can just cut somebody's throat in a second. No, God showed up immediately and begins to show Elijah that, no, this is not the end. See how powerful I am. I'm the one backing you. This is the same way God will begin to speak to that person. He'll begin to show them scriptures. He'll bring people that will give them hope. Do you understand? He will do little, little miracles along the way to show you that, don't worry, I've got you. I've got your back. Do you understand? God will show up and he will come and show you that, listen, there's more. He will send the right people into your life. But if you're so stubborn... And you refuse to put things in the right perspective. That's a trap. That's a trap. Now, I'll ask you this question. Can you even remember some of the challenges that, you, that had you twisted in knots? Look back over your life and, and identify maybe two or three that you thought, man, there's no way forward from here. This is the end. That you were like, there's no way out of this. And you thought this was the end. Your life was over. But now, you can even barely remember the details. You've moved far beyond that situation. Your life is far better than that season of your life. Me, obviously, for example, when I got pregnant outside of wedlock, as a young Christian woman, I I really thought that was the end of my life. I thought that was the end. I thought, forget it. But when I look back, I even look back in gratitude and joy. I thank God I even went through that season. Do you understand? All these things that we embellish that and we allow our minds to just make into big things. And people can do it to you too. So, so if you have people in your life that are scaremongers, that are ruled by fear, any small thing, they're like, ah, and they're shaking like a leaf. You better know, know how you manage that kind of relationship. You need to know how you manage that kind of relationship. If you can get them out of your space, do it. Okay? If you can't, <laughs> for example, if you're married to somebody like that, you have to be able to learn, ask God to teach you how to take what they're saying and just pour water on it. So as they are releasing the fire and say, hey, hey, wait, 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 you just pour water on it to calm it down. You have to really learn to do that. Right? So... <laughs> Whether it is coming directly into your thoughts because your brain, the natural mind is trained like that over the centuries or Satan is bringing such thoughts into your mind or it is coming from an external, so like a human being that's just trying to scare monger. Listen, guard your mind. Be diligent with it. Be diligent with it. Put things in perspective. Like I said, even in death, it is not the final say. Look at Abraham and Isaac. God said to Abraham, go and kill Isaac. All right. We, we can make it sound nice and say, go and do sacrifice. Sacrifice your son. to me. Literally, God said, go and carry your own son and kill him. <laughs> I mean, I thought you said he was the father of many nations. I thought you said it is in Isaac that your seed will be blessed. But this is what Abraham understood. That this cannot be the final. Even in death. As in, guy was ready. It wasn't like he was looking with two side eyes. Like, oh, I'm, I just knew that there would be a ramp. He was ready to kill. If God had not spoken that, stop. 
he would have killed Isaac. But guess what? It did not even enter into his mind that that would have been the end of that situation or the promise of God or what God wanted to do with his life. Even with Isaac lying there dead in front of him, he still knew that what God ever God has said will happen. I am still the father of many nations. God will find a way to raise this guy. It is not the end. Even death would not have been final. Do you understand that? He knew that, no, the God will find a way. Jesus. <laughs> crucified buried went into hell i mean think about it think about it into hell where satan was like hey i've got him and he legally had him because just carried the sin of the entire world so satan had the legal right imagine if just i thought <laughs> hey die i go to i'm not doing no angels come and carry me from this place and he had you know scattered and run away with the angels and not died where would we all be today so there's hope for a tree no matter what the situation is god has something beautiful ahead something beautiful ahead right and before i move on to the second point i need to say this here like recently someone told me about a young lady that was pregnant that had gotten pregnant and, you know, her mind and everything was, you know, obviously that thing can, <laughs> if there's anything that can make you feel like your life is over, it is being pregnant outside of wedlock as a young person, honestly. So I heard two stories recently. One was a young, a young girl, maybe she was like, um, I don't know, 19 or something in Nigeria. She wanted to go to university, but then she got pregnant and her parents were like, lie, lie, which university? Better go and sell pepe or something. How, how dare you? Um, and they were, I think they were even threatening that go and abort the baby or, or otherwise we're not having anything to do with you again. The shame is too much, etc. And she knew within her heart that she was not supposed to, to, to abort that baby. And so I got to hear about it and we said, okay, what can we do? We got money together and we said, you're going to university. We'll take care of your child. We'll take care of you. Don't worry. This is not the end. And this is the message that I keep trying to pass along to people, especially for something like that. It's a human life. I mean, this is being extremely short-sighted. I mean, ugh, extremely short-sighted based on the current situation of the shame of the, how am I going to take care of the baby? Fat, just try and cast your mind a little bit like 20 years or even 10 years from that point. 10, oh, as little as 10, let's say five or even 10 years forward. Do you still think you'll feel that way about that child? We make decisions like that based on temporary situations. Temporary. Do you understand? So we're like, no, don't you dare. In 10 years time, would you still be thinking, oh, my parents said they will not. No, you would have moved past that. You would have, God would have helped you. You would have set up some kind of thing in your life. You, he may even have brought somebody that would have married you and you're, you're, you have a beautiful marriage, someone that will be a father to your child. Would you them say, oh, I, I wish I still had aborted this baby? No, it's being myopic. Honestly, if you're listening to me, don't do it. Don't do it. It's been extremely mild. This is a human life. Someone that God is recruiting into his army on earth. And you will make a decision to terminate that life based on a temporary situation of, oh, shame. Or oh, what would people say? No, that's been extremely myopic. And I'm talking from experience. Was the temptation there? Yes. Oh. But when I see my 18-year-old going to university 
and doing amazing things and knowing that God has such a fantastic future. I'm like, God, I'm, I'm just so th- thankful for your mercy. Thank you for showing up to, like you did for Elijah and doing all these wonderful miracles to help me see that, ah, no, this is not the end. This is not the end. This is not the end. You don't understand how grateful I am to God for that. The regret of looking back and saying, ah, why did I terminate that pregnancy? That regret is, <laughs> it's not as, it's not a small thing to deal with though. Okay. Right. I said the second story, but I'm not going to share that. It just, you know, I don't need to, there's a check in my heart. So I'm not going to share that. But if you find somebody, somebody comes to you and say, Oh, see what has happened. Just listen. It's not the end. It's a temporary situation. It's a temporary situation. And the second one, the second way you retrain your mind and you guard your mind against exaggerating the cost or the impact of failure is you have to become rooted in the love of God. When you understand how much God loves you, you will know that this cannot be the end. No matter how big the thing looks, no matter how threatening the storm looks, you know that I may lose everything. Like that tree, mm, send the water, I shall come back. That is from knowing how much God loves you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts, God says, that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope god's thoughts towards you are always bringing you towards a beautiful future no matter how bad it looks there is something amazing waiting for you because you're a child of god because your 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 life is submitted to god now anyone that refuses to submit their life to god and say no no this is the end there's nothing god can do look at elijah so you have a part to play you have to put things in perspective and go deep that's why you must pray consistently father teach me to know how much you love me cause my roots to be grounded and rooted in your love colossians 1 Colossians 1, or is it Ephesians 3? <laughs> God, look it up yourself. It says that your roots will go deep into the love of God. I think it's Ephesians 3. Pray those kind of prayers. When you are facing massive situations that look like they've come to consume you and there's no light at the end of the tunnel, that is when you should start praying prayers like Ephesians 1.17. Father, open the eyes of my understanding. Let him begin to show you what is at the end of the tunnel. Because with God, it is never darkness that ends the story. It is impossible. He says it was impossible for Christ to have been held in hell. And remember, you have already been raised up and resurrected with Christ. So it's impossible for that situation to be the end, to be the thing that will swallow you up. No, it's not possible. So you just need your eyes to be open. You just need your eyes to be open to the end result that God is bringing you to number one. And number two, to how much God loves you. Because when you know how much he loves you, you know how much he is committed to bringing you to that end that he has for you. Okay? Right. (laughs) I hope that helped you. That's where I'm going to leave you today. So the series, Guard Your Heart, will continue next week. Have a wonderful week and I'll be back with the next episode. This is Allow Me Brigway. <laughs> Bye.